So, Romans chapter 3, we'll start at 28, but just let me kind of go back over what we've gone through so far. So, the righteousness of God has been manifested, right? So, well, first we know that God is going to condemn everybody, basically. We're all condemned. We're all worthy of being condemned, whether you are a Jew, a Gentile, or whether you think you're great, you're worthy of condemnation, right? And so Paul points, points out that you are, whether or not you think you're not, you are, right? Whether you follow the law of Moses or whether you follow your conscience or whether you do anything, you are under God's wrath for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? However, thank the Lord, he provides a provision, right? And it's the provision of righteousness. And without righteousness, or you can't have righteousness without justice, they, they go hand in hand, right? In the sense that it's not true righteousness without justice. Justice meaning that it has to be, a penalty has to be paid for a crime committed, right? It's a judiciary judgment of condemnation. We, myself, am guilty of sinning against the Lord. Therefore, I'm guilty of being separated from him forever because he's holy and I am not, right? And But he's provided a provision and the provision is in through his son, Jesus Christ, right? And the way that we can become righteous or become justified or, or the justice be served is by propitiation. And that's really the exchange of Christ being the perfect example, living the perfect life, fulfilling the law of Moses, fulfilling the conscience principle, the principle of knowing what's right or wrong, identifying that there is a God, knowing all those things, right? That he lived that perfect life. He came to suffer for us, right? He, his purpose of coming to this earth was to suffer and pay the price for us so that we could be made right. We don't become righteous in a sense that we are now unable to sin. We are declared righteous, right? It's two very, that's two very different things, right? Being made righteous and then being declared righteous, two very different things. We are declared righteous not because of our righteous deeds, but because of what Christ did, right? Um, so there is one condition, and the condition is that you just believe in God's provision. That's it. Um, by believing in God's provision, then you are made righteous. It's really that way, but it has to be, it's a very specific belief. It's in what, who the person is, what the person did, and that it, it applies to you, right? So you have to have faith that Christ came, Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Rose again is the big part of that. That's, that's the acceptance of the sacrifice, is being resurrected. And all we must do is believe that he did it, right? That he is the one who did it. He could do it. He could carry it out, and he did it. Um, and so God did reveal righteousness and the way to do it, and we just have to believe in it, believe that. Provision. You can't do it by any other means. You can't follow the law perfectly. You can't, you know, do enough good deeds. You can't do anything to gain that justice, that that declaration of justice on you being justified uh, without faith in God's provision through His Son. Right? That is basically the good the good news. The good news. The bad news is that we're under condemnation. The good news is there's a provision. There's a way to to get out from under God's condemnation. Right? Um, and so, um, Paul is now going to go into um, 
sort of what that justification looks like <coughs> within the Mosaic law. So the next several verses are going to be what justification looks like in the Mosaic law, what justification looks like um, um, as an example of Old Testament. Um, justification was still applied and still used in the Old Testament, right? Justification has never been changed. It's always been by faith. The content of that faith would have been different for the Old Testament saints because they didn't know who Jesus Christ is or what, right? But they had to have faith that God would provide a provision. God's provision that he provided was Christ. So we can look back and say we know who it was that did the provision. The Old Testament saints looked forward to say God will provide a provision, right? But it's always been by faith. So Paul's going to do, go through some illustrations, and he's going to go through Abraham and even David and talk about those things. So that's where we are. Are we pretty, pretty good on that? Okay. So let's start at verse 28. Um, let's look at verse 28 of chapter 3. So I'm going to read that. Right, so we know that salvation is not, some of this, he does repeat kind of a lot, but that's to hone it in, right? The believer's salvation is not based on law, but on the righteousness that is imputed to him, right? So it's apart from anything done on the basis of law. So whether you break one law or you break all 613 commandments, it's the same. You're guilty of them all, right? So therefore, Paul, Paul says, because of that, you can't have any boasting, Whatever. You can't do any kind of boasting because you follow 610 of the commandments. You have no room for boasting because you failed in three parts of them, right? Um, he's, not, he's not able to be justified by anything. And then read verse 29, if you would. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Right, so it, there was no, there wasn't just salvation for the Jews because they had the Mosaic Law. They couldn't keep the Mosaic Law, so that didn't make them righteous. And so they didn't have anything exclusive, right? What Paul is now saying, that it wasn't, God is not just the God of the Jews, who they had the exclusive Mosaic Law. He's the God of the Gentiles, and he didn't give one, one plan of salvation for the Jews and another plan of salvation for the Gentiles. It's the same way. Right? If if he did, that's two gods essentially, two two opposing gods, right? Um, and so then, what does it say in verse thirty? If you read verse thirty, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Right. So it's the same. God is one, right? Um, so there's not one plan of salvation for the Gentiles, one plan of salvation for the Jews. God is one. He justifies those who are circumcised, which are the Jews, and those who are not circumcised, the Gentiles, through one aspect. The aspect is faith, right? Um, it's always by grace, meaning nothing you can earn or deserve or do. It's always by grace, through faith. Like we said, the content has kind of changed over that dispensational period, that era. Um, but he deals with man on the same basis, right? And because God is one, he's not in two different places or has two different ideas about it. He, he justifies everyone the same way. Even though he, gave the, he chose the Jews to bring about land, seed, worldwide blessing, 
Um, the Gentiles are still saved through faith, just as the Jews are saved by faith, right? It's faith that results in eternal life. So then we see the true purpose of the Mosaic law um, in verse 31. So someone read that, please. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So if salvation is attained through grace by faith, what of the Mosaic law, right? Basically, what do we do with the Mosaic law? And if it if it's if it's useless, why did God bother even bringing it and introducing it, right? That's kind of the question that, that he's asking. There's 613 commandments. If it has no value, then why did God use it? Um, but he says, by no means, right? And that by no means um, is that same term when Paul asks rhetorical questions, meaning, may this thought never enter your mind. So it's so far from the truth, don't even think about it, right? It's not even that the law has no value. The law has value. Um, and again, the, the law was not given to provide salvation. It can't produce salvation, right? Um, we've already said that in chapter, or 20, verse 20, um, what, does anybody remember what was 20, 320, it says? What, what was the purpose of the law in 320? There's several reasons, but one of them was just a couple verses ago. We become conscious of sin. So we, exactly, right. We, it, it, it brings to light the fact that you're a sinner, right? And when you know that you're a sinner, you know you need saving. You know you need a Messiah. You know you need salvation. So it actually points you to faith. It's a beacon. It's, a beacon. it's an exposure, right? It, exactly. It shows you that you're, you're not righteous compared to a righteous, holy God, right? There will be other men, reasons mentioned, but that's, that's what Paul is saying, that the Mosaic Law is fantastic. We need it because it exposes you for who you really are. If you don't know who you really are, if you don't think you need saving, then you're not going to put your faith and trust in Christ, right? And that's a big problem within our culture is that our culture thinks they're generally good. Right? Generally, most people we know think they're good people. And maybe they are good people compared to one another, but we aren't comparing ourselves one to another, right? We're, we're all angels compared to other people, but we're not, we're, we're filthy rags when compared to God, the holy God, right? So to be in his presence, our unholiness, it, it, it stains him. So we can't be in fellowship without being declared righteous. We can't be in fellowship without that faith that cleanses us, right? So he made God's program is that he made righteousness available through faith so that we can be released from that sin. The Mosaic law lets you know that you're in bondage to sin. Faith in Christ, faith in the Messiah is the release from that, right? Thank the Lord that he doesn't just condemn, he provides the provision to get out of it, right? Um, chapter 4, we'll discuss that more, actually, as we get into that. It, it's going to show how, excuse me, how God met the righteous demands of the Mosaic law by putting it on his son, how that actually occurred. Because the law, what the law recognized and discusses substitution, right? We talked about how already people would every year, the high priest would every year would have to give these offerings and do these sacrifices um, as a substitution 
for the sin, right? It was atonement, meaning that it was just covering over. It wasn't full, but it would have to be done on a regular basis. But the law did recognize substitution, yeah? So faith is not contrary to the law, right, of Moses, but it establishes the purpose of that it is to reveal sin, right? Again, the law, the law is not um, meant to give life, but it is, it's, a, it's a, the, the means of salvation, right? It's a, it, it, is, um, it was never a means of salvation, but an idea of how to live righteously and you can't, so you, but you know that the provision allows you, God's provision allows you to actually follow the law, right? To compare yourself and to have that sanctification process to be more like Christ, right? Um, salvation has always been by grace through faith, and that affirms the Mosaic law. That's what kind of Paul's purpose is there. Good? Okay, D, so here, here we're going to go on some illustrations um, from the Old Testament, and it shows that um, this idea of justification and propitiation is not a new concept. It's not a mystery, as the Bible would say. It's not new. It's been there. Um, and so Paul is going to discuss first Abraham. So if, you know, we, we, would, we should ask, what did the Old, and that's been asked, how did the Old Testament people become saved, right? What did they do? Um, and he is going to use Abraham as an example. If Abraham's justification or righteousness was made by faith, then it supports Paul's argument, right? That you, the just shall live by faith. But if Abraham was justified by works, meaning uh, the circumcision particularly, then Paul's argument is not valid. So the question is, how was Abraham saved? And Paul will use Abraham as that example. Um, so read 4.1, if you would. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Okay, so the flesh refers to the act of circumcision. Right, so Abraham, according to Genesis 17:1, was circumcised at age 91. But God made the covenant with Abraham five chapters prior, which is 20, 20, uh, what is that? Uh, 16 years? No, 26 years prior. No, not 26 years. 16 years prior. God made the covenant with Abraham when he was 75 years old. Right, so he wasn't circumcised until he was 91 years old. But the promise was given to him when he was 75 years old. Okay? So from, and what, and God declared Abraham righteous, right? Before he did the work of circumcision. It's basically Paul's point, right? No work was done on the part of Abraham to be declared righteous. Circumcision was, and we'll talk about that in a moment, circumcision is actually the seal that reminds Abraham that he was declared righteous, right? The declaration of righteous occurred when he was 91. The circumcision was an example or was a, 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 an act saying you already are, are declared righteous. Kind of like baptism is, right? When you go to be water baptized, it's a, it's, a, it's a ceremony, it's a remembrance, it's a reminder of what has already occurred, right? You've already been justified. You're already saved. The baptism is... Uh, an act of saying I, I'm sealing myself in that right I already have faith in that 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 happens good okay so 
if Abraham would have been justified by circumcision, Paul's talking about boasting here, right? Because he talks about how the Jews always boasted amongst themselves to the Gentiles that they were a better people because they had the law. Well, Abraham being the father of the Jews, Paul's saying if he was justified by his work, Abraham would have been very correct in boasting in his actions of work, right? Um, so let's read verse 2. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. But not before God, right? So we see 4, that connects it to verse 1. So basically, Paul's saying, well, what about Abraham, right? If he was justified by his own works, then he could brag because he was circumcised. Not only, I mean, he circumcised himself and he circumcised everybody in his household, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, you know, as an adult male, that's a big deal, you know, compared to everybody around you too, that's a big deal. Um, and that's, you know, that's a pretty bloody, painful act of a work, right, that you would do. Um, so, but we just saw in verse 27 of chapter 3 that the act of boasting, bo there's no room to boast in anything, right? Works do nothing for your salvation, do nothing for you, right? Um, so Abraham um, possibly could have gloried in himself that he did this work amongst other men, but to God it means it's nothing, it's valueless, it has no um, grounds to boast toward God because works do nothing apart from faith, right? Works do nothing apart from faith. Um, so then Paul, Paul will use in verse 3 um, scripture to prove his own point, right? Um, so what does, let's look at verse 3, that works did nothing, but it was by grace through faith. So verse 3, Right, so Paul's reiterating Genesis 15, 6, which it says, and he believed in God and it reckoned to him for righteousness. So what did he believe? He believed that God would fulfill the promises of land, seed, worldwide blessing, right? He, he, he believed that he'd have a son that would come through him, even though he knew he was well past that age, and Sarah was well past that age as well. But he believed God. And he didn't circumcise, he didn't do any of that, but at the moment of the promises that God gave him, he believed God, and what as a result of believing God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, right? And that's the same, well, Paul will kind of say the same thing, that, that that's our duty. Our duty is to believe God and the promises that he says. So if he says he can justify you by believing in a son, and we believe in a son, therefore we're justified, right? That's, that's the, the way that we go. Um, so, the same way that we are declared righteous, God declared Abraham righteous in a judicial act, in a legal standing, right? He, all, like I said, all of a sudden, Abraham didn't become, you know, this super saint, because we find that he did a lot of things that weren't so good later on, right? He lied and cheated and did these things, you know? Um, but God declared him to be righteous, right? Because of his faith. The faith was credited to him as righteousness. So since this declaring of righteousness based upon faith came before circumcision, it's clear that justification was never on the basis of works, 
right? Whether circumcision or whether following any law or following any what, whatever, justification was never on the basis of works. Because then Paul will give even more illustration on that. So let's read verse 4. Right, we know that, right? When, when, if you work for an employer and you do your work, it's not a gift if they pay you, right? It's you've earned that money, you've done that money. It's not a gift. Um, the employee is not the employer is not paying the employee out of grace because the work was done, the the, the wage was earned, and so it's not a gift, right? Um, He's actually, the, the employer is indebted to the employee until the wage is paid, right? There's a time where the, the, the employer is indebted to the employee because he owes him money, right, for work done. So if, if however, um, you, you know, no work is done and the, and the employee doesn't do any work and then he still gets paid, there's a gift involved in that, right? There's the idea that you didn't earn this, but I give it to you, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. That would, that's what we would call grace, right? Grace is giving something that you didn't earn or deserve, you receive something for it, right? Um, so works that are done excludes grace from justification, right? If, if we could if we could circumcise our hearts or ourselves by and then by that become righteous then that's an, a, a, a wage that is earned because we did this work to earn it right um, but righteousness was not received that way in the Old Testament either even though they had the law they, they did not receive righteousness that way they received it by faith so here's the answer um, read verse 5 if you would Right, so the previous verse, you know, mentioned that a person who earns his money by doing work and, and get, deserves a wage because money is owed to him, now Paul states that a person who does not work and still receives payment, that's undeserved grace, right? It's a pretty simple concept. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like getting an allowance from our parents say, you know, like you don't really do anything, but here's $10 you know, to go spend whatever you want to do. You know, it's an, it's an allowance. And generally we'll try to say, okay, you need to vacuum your room or clean up or whatever to earn that $10 in basic economic terms. But that's the idea that Paul is saying is that, you know, if you don't do anything and you receive a payment, that's grace, right? But if you do something and you receive a payment, that's your, that's your due wage, right? So it wasn't, um, again, it, there's no, the payment is, on, is by grace only. We don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, we haven't done any work to, to deserve it. And uh, good morning. And um, again, it wasn't that, it wasn't even that Abraham's faith was righteous, right? His faith was not righteous, right? It wasn't an act of, of a work, um, it was just that righteousness was applied to him, right? Does that make sense? In the sense that um, his faith wasn't a work. It was just a belief that God would fulfill the promises, right? 
So it isn't that the work was what the act, the faith was a work. It's that God, that what what Abraham is doing is is trusting that God will fulfill the promise, right? It isn't just you know holding your heart across your hand across your heart and feeling like I believe this, I believe this, but it's actually trusting that God's promise will take place, right? And that that's how it gets attributed to Abraham as being righteous is trusting in the promises that God will deliver. Um, okay, so Paul is, again, Paul, we, we think Paul is like an attorney, right? He's in this court. And it could be argued by critics that, well, Abraham was even before the Mosaic Law. So why are you using Abraham as an illustration, right? Because um, the Mosaic Law wasn't even given to Israel for hundreds of years after that. <clears throat> So salvation must have been different for him because the law wasn't even there, right? Um, but Paul will now address that objection in verses 6 through 8, and he's going to bring in David as an example, who did live under the law. So let's, let's read uh, verses 6 through 8. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Um, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Okay, so that's Psalm 32, 1 and 2. So David points out the negative side of salvation, right? Um, uh, the negative is that you don't receive the results of your sin. Right? The positive is that you receive righteousness. The negative is that you aren't receiving the results of your own sin. Right? Um, that side is the two aspects are just as necessary as, as the other one. Right? Um, so, blessed is the person unto whom righteousness is imputed. Right? But it's also blessed is the one whose deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, who didn't count his sin. Right? In the sense, you're not getting what you do deserve. Right? There's both mercy and grace there, grace of getting justification, righteousness. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, right? Um, and so that Paul uses the fact that David understood this as well as being under the law, that no matter how many law you've fulfilled or how much you followed, um, you're the blessed man whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, um, whom the, the sins don't count against against you, right? And we all know the story of David and how he was just a sinner just like any one of us was, you know, um, and even more so. Um, so Paul is saying before the law, after the law, um, it's still saved by grace through faith and not by the law, right? That's his, that's his point. Yeah? Okay, so two, justification and circumcision. So he's going to connect, you know, kind of talk about the connection of justification, circumcision, um, because justification is apart from any ritual you might do, including circumcision. Um, so what of circumcision, basically? So let's read verses 9 and 10. Then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was 
does not answer that the Lord is Right, so remember Paul is a Pharisee and he would know rabbinic teachings and they remember they, they taught that they were special because they were circumcised. In fact, some teaching was that if you were just circumcised, you were going to receive eternal life just by being circumcised. Um, and so he's bringing this point up to, to rebut that idea. Um, <clears throat> so he did perform a work, right? Using Abraham as the example, Abraham did perform a work, but he was not, um, again, Paul uses that chronology. The, the, the work was done well after he was attributed righteousness, right? The work of circumcision. If the Jews taught that you could be made righteous by circumcision, or that you would be, receive eternal life because you were circumcised, Paul says, no, he was made righteous or received eternal life before the work ever occurred, right? Years before the work ever occurred. And so that's Paul's argument is that um, Abraham was declared righteous in chapter 15 and he wasn't circumcised until 24 years later in Genesis 17, right? So that act didn't make him righteous or didn't make him receive eternal life. Um, only the, the act of de believing God's promises for him. Because for 24 years, he was declared righteous before he ever got circumcised, right? And maybe he didn't even know about it until God said, this will be the seal for you, you know? Um, so Abraham believed God that the promises would come, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness before his circumcision. So then verse 11 is going to have two two sort of points about the meaning of Abraham's circumcision, what actual circumcision actually is. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but read verse 11 if you would. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them so, so circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Um, it was a seal. Um, again, it's the same concept. It's the outward evidence of an inward change, right? Of an inward de declaration of righteousness um, that Abraham already had faith. He'd already been declared righteous. Circumcision was the seal or the sign or the uh, work that, that sealed that, that scenario. So obviously, if he didn't get circumcised, would he still have been saved? Yeah. Right. He was, still would have been saved because the circumcision is just a seal. Are we just as saved if we do or do not get baptized? We are, right? Baptism has nothing to do with our salvation. It's just an outward, outward uh, expression of an inward change, right? There's no such thing as dumb questions. What? I mean, I know that was God's idea, but you wouldn't know that you were circumcised unless you had your clothes off and you could get in and walk around. Right. Know. So what? Why that instead of like a tattoo or yeah. a haircut or something that was a visible sign of recognition? I mean, that just... 
I I I don't I've heard that's not actually true, but I don't know. You know that wow. that that's that was a, that was one reason. Maybe people trying to answer that question of why circumcision, and you know the obviously we you know not to, not to get but too like, <laughs> detailed. But. but when you say it's an outward expression of an inward you know, mm-hmm. thing, it's great. well, like baptism, you're baptized once, right, and you dry off and you go back to being the same person that you did. So it is it isn't. I don't, I don't know the ritual of circumcision, meaning is it in front of a group of other men that are there to watch and make sure you know, that this happened and they all, they all witnessed the event so they all knew that that person was in. I, I believe there's something like that. Rabbis would have that sort of um, authority. I mean, even today, uh, we, 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 laugh. we laugh because um, Grace used to work with a doctor Who's Jewish? Whose father was a rabbi? Or was he a rabbi? And he was a surgeon. Yeah, and his name was Doctor Dick. <laughs> no kidding! I was like, wow. And so his, are they usually trained uh, like I don't. We don't know. We're just wondering how well trained you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and obviously, uh, women are safe too, and they can't be circumcised. Exactly. So. Well, we we went over that. What chapter? Chapter two and three about circumcision of the heart, right? right? That all people, Paul says, all people should be circumcised. It's a circumcision of the heart. But that's, and maybe that's the answer, or or, or sort of that in what you're talking about, uh, Jerry. That that it's always by faith. And if we have an outward tattoo or an outward haircut, it's a matter of work almost. Like I'm self-righteous, but it's all. So you have to live by faith on a daily basis that the promises are going to come through. And maybe that that circumcision is such a private place that only you know in a sense, if you were to leave the witnesses that saw that, so you, you are reminded that, that no work, no work matters, right? And, and that's kind of what's being said. I mean, we, our culture still circumcises our boys for no good reason, right? No good reason. Like I said, I, I've, I've heard that there's not any, you know, it was said maybe that's healthier and, you know, infection and all that stuff, but if, as long as you do normal cleaning things, it's the same, you know? Um, they don't do it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and we we do. It's a weird thing that we do because we're not under the Mosaic law yet. We circumcise our boys for what? You know, it's a it's. Well, yes, yes, yes. But it's at eight days, right? And the Jewish, they they they. That's you know, it's a kind of an interesting story. Biologically, their vitamin K. Is, uh, 
peaks at the eighth day, vitamin K is what is responsible for clotting. And so they, on the eighth day, they'll circumcise the infant. Um, they don't do that anymore, but in, in Jewish times, they, they were doing it on the eighth day. Now, you know, they'll do it like the following day when they're born, but um, your vitamin K peaks at that time, so. Um, no. <laughs> um, when did you? So that was an outward sign. When did you switch to baptism as an outward sign for Jesus' death? Yeah. Or just before? Yeah. I mean, right. Right. I mean, we have no record of Jesus ever baptizing anybody, but he was baptized himself, right? And so baptism, Acts two, I think, would be the 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 beginning the beginning of like baptism as identifying but again baptism wasn't uniquely jewish or christian it was just a way to identify that you're in this belief or this cult or this religion or whatever um, just like crucifixion wasn't just for christ it, other people were crucified on a cross um, and so the crucifixion doesn't carry any any uh, unique thing for god being on there other than being cursed because he hung on a tree right but the, the shape and all that doesn't really matter. But baptism was a common practice to identify with that belief system. And so Christianity sort of took it as that way. So, um, and Paul and James talk all about that, that it's, it's just an, it's, it's a, it's an outward expression to those who would see you as a witness that you've had this inward change, but we don't believe that baptism saves you at all, right? But it is a matter of obedience, because it does say to be baptized. It's a matter of saying, yeah, I'm identifying myself with this, with this group. So, yeah, but that, that is a, qu a good question, Jerry, that why that, right? I, and, and I just thought that might be a, a historical or theological. Yeah. Well, like Mike was saying, it's, it's a little difficult because women aren't circumcised yet they're saved right and they were saved back then and they had to be saved by faith too and so there isn't a circumcision of that women can go but yet they're still individually a relationship with god can be declared righteous with god and yet it doesn't have that so we have this sort of patriarchal like idea that that the household becomes saved when the man is circumcised in a sense right um, so, but I don't, I don't really know all about that. It is a little. I, I have an answer. Okay. Men deserve pain. Men deserve pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and maybe that's true too, because women have childbirth pain. We don't. That's what I you know? told her. Yeah. So, you know, you can never be circumcised, and we can never have babies. Yet they both are painful. You know. So. No comparison. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm not to d diminish that at all. So, okay, we better end there. But we'll go back. So we're going to see he's going to go through justification and what all that kind of means and the different parameters of that. But why circumcision? So what well, we saw, circumcision of the heart, right? That's really what we want is circumcision of the heart. And no one can see your heart. No one knows you're a believer by just walking down the street, right? No one knows that you're declared righteous. We don't know who's declared righteous or not. I mean, obviously, you're, if you're in, you know, doing some acts of stupidity, you're probably, probably not, you know, but. 
Okay, we will pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we're grateful. We're thankful that you give us your word. We're grateful that you give us justification. We're grateful that you give us understanding. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to understand the meaning of circumcision back then so we have a better understanding and help us to understand what righteousness is now um, so that we can live by faith that you will fulfill the promises you've given us. And uh, just like you did, declared Abraham righteous and declared promises to him, Lord, we look forward to the promises that you will fulfill in us, and that is sanctification now and glorification in the future. We're so very grateful for that. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, yet you give it to us by grace. And because of your also your mercy, you're not giving to us what we do deserve. And we are fully indebted to you. So what do we do, Lord? We ask that we would you would help us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to you as a reasonable response for the grace and mercy we receive. We love you. We praise you. We pray for Barb Fetzner, Lord. We pray for Janet that they would just give them peace and clarity. You give uh, healing and health where it is your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.